Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Game Time with Manny podcast. This time, I will be talking about Undertale. It's possible that you've heard a lot about it. I've talked a lot about it. I, uh, If you listened to last podcast, um, it was my personal game of the year, which is why I thought that I should record a podcast specifically dedicated to Undertale. Um... For the first, like, half or so, I'm just going to be talking about the game on pretty basic terms, Uh, but a large part of Undertale is the story, and that's one of the reasons why it was so special to me personally. So, the second half, I will be very spoiler-heavy. I will say beforehand, hey, this is the cutoff point if you don't want any major spoilers. Uh, So, yeah, without further ado, it's game time. Okay, so we're here to talk about Undertale. Um, It's crazy because the amount that this game blew up is something that I never personally expected, and I don't think that the creator, Toby Fox, ever expected. So every year, GameFAQs, or Game FAQs, however you want to say it, uh, has basically a contest where it pits games up against each other for the best game of all time, and people vote. And Undertale came out in 2015, and it actually won the best game ever contest on GameFAQs this year. And I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot, because it's just people voting in an internet poll. But the fact that most old games win, like old classic games, or games that have uh, heavily influenced uh, video games as a whole usually win. And I... Cannot believe that uh, Undertale won this year. It's insane. Um, I, I never would have been able to guess that, and I, I don't think Toby Fox would have either. So to start off, I'll just talk a little bit about how Undertale got its start. Um, it was originally supposed to be a very small game. Um, Toby Fox put it up on Kickstarter, and he had a goal of like $5,000. He ended up uh, exceeding that greatly and got uh, $51,124 to be exact. He initially thought that it was going to be an RPG uh, somewhere along the lines of two hours long. But in the course of development, I guess it grew a lot and he had a lot more ideas. So it ended up being about three times as large in scope. Um to 100% the game, uh, it probably takes anywhere between 6 to 10 hours, depending on how you play and how much you talk to people and things like that. And it's actually kind of impressive, because he, he made it in uh, Game Maker Studio, which uh, recently I I played another... Oh, uh, Nuclear Throne was also made in Game Maker Studio by Vlambeer. I believe that all their games have been uh, Vlambeer specifically, but... Yeah, it's it's just cool, and it took him a little under three years, uh, two two years and some some amount of weeks, almost three. And what I think came out of it is something that I will look back on fondly for years to come. So, I'm a big fan of uh, JRPGs, Japanese RPGs, for those who don't know. And Undertale is it's a subversion of what JRPGs generally are supposed to be. So at a most base value, you could say that Undertale is a combination of Earthbound and Shin Megami Tensei. And I say that in a way that, I, I mean, that's just taking it super reductive. I don't think it's necessarily that, but if you think about the inspirations for the game, those are probably where they came from. So... Uh, I guess I'll have to go into the story, and then I'll be able to explain the battle system and how it works, and then I'll explain that a little bit deeper. But the plot of Undertale is pretty basic, actually, which is surprising, or it seems basic on the surface. The premise is that a long time ago, there was a war between humans and monsters, and it was pretty violent, and a bunch of people died, a bunch of humans, a bunch of monsters, and in the end, the monsters lost, and they were banished 
into this like weird underground cavern by the humans uh and they magically sealed them inside to assure that they could not escape uh and this happened a long time ago and at the point that undertale begins is every so often a human travels to the top of this mountain called mount ebbet and there is a hole into the underground and people fall through and generally they're never heard from again so the plot of undertale is that you are that fallen human who has fallen down and you are now in the world of the monsters which generally you would think would be pretty scary um just because the humans are afraid of monsters in general but the game does a lot to play with that view uh which i'll get to more on later so like i said Undertale is basically, it's a it's like a classic JRPG, and where it's like Earthbound is that it's kind of quirky, um, which I guess, I, I don't know, that might be used a little too often. People say a lot of games recently that are JRPGs are inspired by Earthbound, and I guess I see that, but I think a lot of people use that in a way that means like it's kind of funny, which Undertale is funny, like don't get me wrong, but I don't think that it's like a direct Earthbound ripoff like a lot of people are saying. I mean, Earthbound was about psychic children, and the enemies and stuff were really weird, and the enemies in Undertale are really weird. But where I think it's like Shin Megami Tensei is, there is a whole mechanic in the battle system where you can basically talk to uh, your enemies. And so the way the way it works is, like a traditional JRPG, you walk around and you'll get into quote-unquote random battles. So... The screen will change, and it will be kind of like... It's like older uh, JRPGs used to look, like original Dragon Quest and things like that, where it's like almost as if the battle is being seen from the first-person view. So it's like just the enemies in front of you looking directly at you and the HUD. So what is on the HUD is... um Four options, much like most JRPGs. You have Fight, Act, Items, and Mercy. And so I'll just go down that list and explain what each one does. So Fight is, as you would expect in any JRPG, that's how you attack your enemies. When you select Fight, you're going to do damage to the enemy. And what happens is a bar comes up on the screen, and it's kind of hard to describe because I don't remember the colors exactly, but in the middle there's like a bullseye, and a bar goes along, and it's kind of like a little mini game, and you want to try to stop the stop the line in the middle of the bar. So the closer you get to the middle, the more damage you do, which is good. And that that's all you really do for fight. It's just like most JRPGs, you just have attack, and it doesn't have like magic skills or anything like most JRPGs because fighting isn't necessarily the way that you want to play. Undertale in all scenarios, but that's that's something you kind of have to intuit through gameplay. And then second, there's Act, which is kind of like a non-lethal solution to combat. So depending on the enemy, uh, you'll go into Act, and there will be like anywhere between two and like five options. Actually, it might only be four options. Either way, it doesn't matter because it's different for every enemy. So uh, I'll use an example. There is uh, an enemy in a snowy area of the game i can't i can't think of what any of the enemies are called they all have really weird names but he's a reindeer and on his crazy antlers there are a bunch of christmas decorations and if you had talked to people in town around there you would have heard a uh, dialogue that basically says like hey i heard some local teens were putting ornaments on on this thing and that's the really mean and so the act, you can make fun of it, which he will not like, um, or you can like take off the ornaments. And so the whole goal of act is to basically pacify the enemy, which you can do to any enemy in the game. That's the game's tagline is the JRPG where you don't have to, you don't have to kill anything. I don't, I don't think they say JRPG, but just like the, the RPG where you don't have to kill anything, which is true. You don't have to kill anything. Whoa, sorry, smashed my mic. Uh, but you can, if you, if you so choose. Uh, which, like, fighting is a lot easier than acting sometimes, because when you act, it's kind of like a puzzle. Since there's multiple solutions, you have to figure out what's going to 
uh, work to pacify the enemy. And sometimes you have to do the same thing multiple times or do the things in different orders. And once the enemy is pacified, you'll know because if you go back into act, their name will be yellow. And so that's where the final thing comes into play, mercy. So when you have pacified the enemy by using act and their name is yellow, you can go to mercy and you can, uh, I think it is called, yes, spare is the option. And you can spare the enemy if their name is yellow and they will disappear from battle and you'll gain no experience. Uh, The other option in there is run. So if you're having a tough time figuring out what to do, you can run from an enemy. And then the other option is items, and that's just, like, if you need healing, uh, like any JRPG, you can just, like, eat a eat an item and get some HP back and things like that. So, yeah, the battle system is interesting in that way, where you don't have to kill anything. And actually, it's really easy to kill things. Um, and when you do actually kill them using the fight option, you get experience and level up, uh, which... Yeah, once you level up a little bit, you are basically an unstoppable killing monster, which is great. Um, But there's a whole other element to combat, and that is when it is the enemy's turn. Uh, So you make an action. uh, So, like, say you act and you pull one of the things off the reindeer's horns. We'll use the same example. Uh, It'll get a little bit lighter, and one of the decorations will come off of its head as to depict that you had taken it off and you then are attacked by the enemy. So what happens with the, this is more like a defensive phase, I guess you could call it. So to depict you, uh, it puts a little square, uh, in replace of the HUD and there is a red heart in it. So, Your heart is what you are controlling, and the game essentially becomes kind of like a bullet hell shooter, where you use the analog stick to move the heart around inside the box and dodge incoming enemy attacks. So it's not exactly like a traditional JRPG, and it's a little bit more action-oriented in that way. Not not quite the same way as like Super Mario RPG or games like that where you have to do correct timing and stuff. It's almost sheerly just dodging... Uh, out of the way of enemy attacks and like if the heart gets hit then you will uh, take some damage and what I think is really cool about Undertale is all of the portraits of the enemies and the HUD and things are black and white except for when the names become yellow and some things in battle so like when you're hovering over like fighter act there is a there's yellow in there also but generally it's just black and white and so the game does some things to play with the combat system in that way. Like, for example, uh, white attacks are generally the things that will come at you, and you want to dodge those because if you get hit, you'll get hurt. But the game eventually mixes it up, and like there will be blue projectiles sometimes, and with blue, you have to not move, otherwise you get hurt. And the opposite for red. It's like red, kind of orangish, I, I don't know. I would I would say red, but you it could be interpreted as orange. And if you you have to be moving on the red because it's like kind of like aggro. So if you're not if you're standing still, the red things will hit you. And then there's a final type. It's green. And if you get the if you you want to touch the green things because they will heal you a little bit. And what's really cool is that the game does interesting things to try to get you to intuit this stuff. Um, like, the first time it introduces the heal, I remember fighting, like, a weird anthropomorphic radish, and if you act, you say something like, you compliment it, or, like, I love eating healthy, or something like that, and then it just shoots out a bunch of stuff, and some of the things are green, and the only way to actually get it to be pacified is if you pick up enough of the green stuff, and then he'll be like, oh, cool, you like to be healthy, and then he'll you can pacify him, and, like, stuff like that is... Super, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Um, it makes it more action-oriented in a way that I never would have expected. I, I've seen the game get a lot of criticism from people saying that, like, oh, it's, like, barely even a game. Uh, and I guess I can kind of see that argument. Like, you are just walking around talking to things most of the time. But in battle, I think that the kind of moving around the heart 
and like the more action-oriented part of the battle system is really cool. And I also always really enjoyed puzzling out what you have to say or do to make it so that you can spare an enemy. Uh, and, and I think that's really interesting. And so, so where all this stems from and what, what I think makes Undertale the most interesting as a whole is its tagline, the RPG where you don't have to kill anything. And because you can go through the game and just cut down everything, but I think it's a little bit more interesting and personally more fun for me if you try to spare every enemy. And so that's just that's that's the basic gist of the game. That's the basic overview. And so if any of this sounds interesting to you and you really like like emotionally compelling stories, uh I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. But I will say I don't think that it's for everyone. Um it's a little bit twee. And what I mean by that is it's kinda like being it's a little try hard at times. Like it's a little too indie maybe. And like some of the stuff isn't going to be appealing to everyone. Like some of the characters talk about anime and it's just, it's a really specific style. And I can understand why some people don't like that. Uh, but I personally love it. And I think that despite some of that stuff, the characters are very interesting and the plot was very emotional for me. Uh, in many different ways. Like, I thought it was funny, I was sad, I teared up at a couple points. Uh, so if any of that sounds interesting to you, please check it out. I I think Undertale is one of my favorite games of all time now, uh, and I implore you to check it out. And if you are going to check it out, this is probably the point where you want to check out of the podcast. And I'll say to those of you who do stop listening at this point, thank you for listening. Uh, but for those of us who want to continue on, like maybe you played Undertale, you want to hear me discuss some spoilery stuff about it, uh, we'll be doing that now. So I'm going to say this is the point of no return right here. And so now everyone else should have turned off the podcast if they were going to play Undertale. But we, I'm still here and I'm going to tell you, tell you all about how I actually felt about Undertale and all of the sweet moments. So, as I was saying, and you've heard me say multiple times by now, you don't have to kill anything in Undertale, and that is the crucial part of it. So, the game sets up in the beginning. You are the human, you've fallen down, and you find yourself in kind of like a little dungeon. And initially, you come up to, one of the first things you come up to is this flower, and it teaches you how to do combat. His name is Flowey. And he is basically like, oh, man, you're going to love this. Try to grab all these pellets. And so it takes you into uh, the combat scenario where you are the heart and there's a bunch of pellets descending into you. And so at this point, you can either just run into the pellets like the game is telling you. But if you know what's actually going on, you know that those pellets are going to hurt you. And so you can dodge out of the way of the pellets, and the flower will gradually get more and more angry as you dodge until he, like, freaks out and starts looking, like, really vicious. Or the alternative is you can get hit, and then he'll freak out and get really vicious. So it's it's kind of cool. Undertale does a lot of stuff with that, where, like, you can make different choices with stuff like that. And... Flowey basically says, like, hey, man, you're too trusting, or, like, oh, you should have trusted me, and I... He turns out to be a bad person. Uh, he's very evil, very evil, and he is trying to teach you that you should never trust anyone here in the Monster Underworld, which is, uh, I don't know. I guess that's kind of a real-life analogy. You don't really want to trust people, especially ones you don't know, but uh, another monster comes and gets him away and says, man, you should come with me. I'll be your friend. And she is a very nice goat-slash-rabbit-looking monster, and her name is Toriel. And she just is so loving and caring, and she wants to be your friend. And it, it's really sweet, actually. She, like, tries to be your mom, basically. And so she takes you through the tutorial area, and she tries to teach you that you should not kill monsters. And that's what I think is really interesting about this game is while you can totally kill them or you could totally not, the game tries to push you in a direction and make you realize that you should not be killing anything. And I say that you should not be killing anything because there is a twist later on in the game that is 
it, for me, it was incredible, and I kind of ruined it for myself because I knew in order to unlock the true ending, you couldn't kill anything because I watched uh, the first like hour of gameplay up through the tutorial, and I I was listening to the way they were talking, and I realized that they're implying that you shouldn't kill anything, and the game tries to tell you that, uh, and it's really cool because you could just kill anything. I'm, I'm going to keep saying this over and over. It sounds like I'm repeating myself, but you, you could just kill anything and it changes the way the game plays out. So just to cut myself off from saying that a bunch of more times, um, near the end of the game, you find out that experience EXP is execution points. And that's why you only get it from fighting and killing monsters and there's like an aha moment if you didn't know that like oh shit i've been executing all these monsters they weren't actually like aggro to me they were just weary that i was like a human and thought i was going to kill them but instead i struck them down and i executed them and when you uh when you level up it's basically like level up it it was lov because your love increases because you're a little heart in battle and that the game also explains that that is your level of violence and so the more execution points you get the higher your level of violence and basically at the end of the game it's kind of like a check and if you have killed anything you cannot get the true ending so there are essentially three endings in undertale the first is what a lot of people refer to as the genocide ending, where you go through and you kill everything. And I personally have not done this because I do not have the heart to do that. And I will discuss that a little bit more in detail a bit later, because uh, that involves the story. There are some characters that I would never be able to bring myself to kill, and I still have not watched the genocide ending on YouTube because I'm afraid that I will get very sad uh, so I haven't done that yet. I should, though, just as a educational experiment. Um, and then there is the traditional ending, which most people will probably get their uh, first time through. So the genocide ending is basically, I think it's triggered, I'm not positive, by killing all of the bosses, essentially. Because uh, most of the bosses are, like, essential story characters. And if you kill them... Uh, I believe you trigger the genocide ending at the end, and that's a terrible, bad ending, and yikes. I've heard some things about it, I don't want to see that. But the neutral ending is what most people will get. So, if you kill, like, a couple things and then spare most other people, you'll get the neutral ending. Even if you do not kill anything your first time beating the game, uh, you will still get the neutral ending. But uh, they changed, he changed it a little bit so that you could still get the true ending if you went through and got the neutral ending not having killed anyone. So the neutral ending is average. Like, you kind of, like, succeed, and that's great, and everybody congratulates you. Um, and then there is the true ending, which once you get the neutral ending, and if you haven't killed anyone, the game lets you go back in and make friends with another person. And so you go do that, and then you can get the true ending, which... Boy, the true ending is one of my favorite video game endings of all time. Oh, man. I, this game, made me feel just so many emotions. I, oh. And so in order to explain most of this, I'm going to talk about the story a little bit more in depth here. So, I already spoke about Toriel, and she basically wants, she takes you to her house. This is still near the beginning of the game, and basically wants you to live there. Um, and you notice that there are a couple of rooms in there that are locked and that you're not allowed to go into. And like, as a person playing the game for the first time, you're supposed to think like, oh God, like this is where she's keeping all the kids that fell down here and she kills them and eats them or something. And she's cooking you pie. So you think she's like trying to fatten you up and like, it's, it's a little bit scary. Um, but it turns out that she does just want to protect you, uh, because she's worried about things that will happen after the fact like people like flowey coming at you she does she doesn't want that to happen um so the game makes it so that you basically ask to leave and she ends up going down into the basement 
uh, when you ask the when you ask to leave, and she shows you like this is the way uh, out of the ruins here. Do you want to proceed? And you you have to proceed, and she'll say, okay, to prove that you're strong enough, you have to fight me. And so you will go into this battle with Toriel. And this is the point where I think the game is really, really, really trying to push on you that you do not want to kill anyone. So Toriel basically just keeps saying, like, hey, strike me down. Strike me down, man. Just do it. Because you have to prove that you can take on anything out there. And you can totally strike her down, and it's really sad. Uh, one of the reasons it's so sad is because her attacks to on you are tears. So it's basically her tears are falling into the box, and you have to dodge the tears. And like You're just like, oh my god, what? This lady seems so nice, like, why would I do this? And so the way to get out of this scenario without uh, killing her is you basically just keep sparing her over and over again. And eventually her tears will start going away from your heart, which is a really cool concept to to show that, like, you're doing the right thing. Like, this is what you are supposed to do. And if you do it for long enough, she will say, like, okay, uh, you have proven that you don't have any malintent. Uh, you can leave, but know that you can never come back, and I'll probably never talk to you again. And so you leave her, and you go through, and then you're in the full underworld, the true underworld. Um, and it's just one of those things where you feel bad immediately, because you're like, oh no, what did I do to this poor lady? Like, why does she want to protect me from out here? And I think once you exit those ruins, that's when the game really just, it started to click for me, man, in a way that I didn't really think it would. I expected it to be, I expected to bounce right off this game, actually, because whenever a lot of places describe things as like Earthbound-esque, I kind of write them off because there's been a lot of games that have actually just been literally trying to ape Earthbound. And this game, I don't think is doing that, but I I thought I was going to bounce right off it, but I guess what one of the things that happened was he, he Toby Fox put out a demo for the backers and it was just up to the ruins and after that point is when the game changes a lot because he made that point pretty early in development. So I think that ruins part has a lot of people bounce off Undertale, but once I got outside was I man I smiled so many times during Undertale, and the two characters you meet right outside that gate are priceless. And you've probably seen pictures of them on the internet somewhere. It's all over Reddit. It's all over everything. So you leave, and it's kind of like this spooky forest, right? And you keep walking, and you notice there's someone behind you, and you like keep turning around, but you can't catch him until eventually there's like fog and then it comes back up and there's a skeleton in front of you and he's wearing a dope hoodie and you're just like oh shit it's a skeleton he's totally gonna kill me and he just starts laughing and tells you a shitty knock knock joke and so his name is Sans and the reason his name is Sans is a play on words which is actually pretty cool um all of his font is in comic sans comic sans whatever you want to say and i i think that's a great play on words and he tells shitty puns and he is great and he tells you that like oh man you're a human like we've never seen a human i've never seen a human uh you should watch out because people down here want to kill humans and uh this is where you learn the other basic plot point of the game and that is that the king of the underworld asgore which is just like that's a scary sounding name he is collecting human souls, which they need to break the barrier to get to the outside world again. Um, and he has six human souls, and if he kills you, that'll be the seventh. So everybody's looking for a human. They want a human to fall down. Uh, and so Sansa's is like, hey, yo, I don't care about any of that, though. Like, you seem pretty cool. I like humans. What's, what's up with that? I don't need to get out of here. I think we're all cool. And... He, but he does say that, hey, my bro- my brother Papyrus, my older brother Papyrus, he really wants to be part of the Royal Guard, and he's going to try to capture you. And Papyrus, obviously, another font, and his text is all in 
the font papyrus as well, and he's just great. He's a uh, man. Papyrus is a loser. I w- I love Papyrus though. He is like the average like he's a super wannabe. He really wants to be part of he really wants to be part of the Royal Guard and he really looks up to their uh the leader of the Royal Guard Undine. And so Sans basically says like, "Oh yeah, hey, dodge all this." And he you eventually do come across Papyrus and Sans is like, "Oh man, it's a human." totally capture him and papyrus takes you through all these traps that he's been making to capture a human if they ever came out of the ruins and they're all just really shitty they're all really shitty traps they at first seem like they're going to be like kind of complicated jrpg puzzles but they're all trivialized because he's not good at making them and he's not a bad person and he's not good at capturing anyone and that gets proven and you he eventually near the end of his series of traps he starts to feel bad and you just see the change in his personality where he's never really had a real friend. And, like, you as the character are, like, saying things to him or, like, interacting with his traps. And he eventually at the end realizes, like, man, I've never had a real friend. Like, you're the closest thing to a real friend I've ever had. And that's really cool. I don't want to kill you, human. And so he makes a final stand. You eventually make your way to his village near his and San's house. And you have to fight him. And that boss battle is where you uh you learn about the blue attacks because he throws bones at you and one of the cool things is even like the boss fights themselves subvert the subversion of jrpg stuff so like you're in the bullet hell shooter thing but he weighs you down and you can like instead of moving all around the box you can only like jump so you have to like jump over these bones he's throwing at you and know that not to move when there's the blue ones and it's really cool i could, i could go on forever about the battle system but it's where he te- they first teach you how to use the how the blue works in battle and eventually if you spare him he's just like man yo we're we're homies we're friends now i'm so glad that you're my friend you wouldn't kill me i didn't kill you we're friends you should totally come and chill at my house and so i liked undertale up until this point when you go hang out with papyrus in his house but i think the scene where you hang out with papyrus is just I knew I had to keep playing the game. I knew I had to 100% it. Knew I had to beat it. Because you... One of the things in the boss battle when you're acting is you can flirt with him. And you you have to. And he's just like, ooh, that's kind of weird. You're flirting with me. You're a human. I'm a skeleton. And he feels really awkward about it. And so he thinks you want to go on a date with him. And you do. You you basically like go on a weird date with him. And if you're never going to play Undertale, at least look up the papyrus date sequence because it's 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 a whole thing and it's really funny and that's one of the things i like is undertale is funny most of the time it's really hard to do comedy in games because it's very timing based like punchlines and things like that and it's hard to do in a video game format where the player is controlling the pace but somehow even through just text and no voice acting this game made me laugh multiple times. Like, the date scene with Papyrus. I, I'm not going to go all the way through the whole plot, so I'll just... Eventually, you meet up with the Royal Guard, Undine, and then you can be her friend. She's the one teaching Papyrus. He wants you guys to be friends. And her special hangout thing is, like, she tries to teach you how to cook, and she's really bad at it and aggressive, and she makes her house catch on fire, but you guys are friends. And you make friends with these boss characters in a way that I didn't think you would be able to within the course of like a six hour game, but they make them feel Toby Fox in his writing made them feel like real people who were genuinely good and were only doing what they were told by their king. And then when they meet you, they realize like, oh man, I should not be doing this. This dude seems so cool and they're my friend. Ah, so good. And as you go on throughout the game, you learn that everyone says Asgore's a really nice guy. Asgore's a really nice guy. And you're like, man, this really nice guy, his name's Asgore, and he wants to steal my human soul? How can he be a nice guy? And so that's where you get eventually 
is at the end of the game, I'm just going to skip all the way to the end. If you want to know all about the crazy homicidal game show robot, you can go play Undertale. We're just going to talk about the rest of the game without bringing all of the rest of the plot in or how Undine becomes your friend and all that stuff. That's something you should check out. These are all moments that I think are priceless and I really like them. But the ending is something that I feel like I have to discuss because it does some really cool things. So you go to the castle. You get there finally after many hours of gameplay and you're ready to take on Asgore. And that is when the true nature of the game comes into play because you run into Sans who tells you about the execution points and about the love and you continue on. And boy, I teared up. I, oh boy, Undertale, man, hit me so hard. You go into, like, the entrance to the castle, and you're out there, and the music changes to be the main theme of Undertale, which is called Undertale, and it just sounds so sad, and you realize where you are in that moment, and it is outside of Toriel's house, and you just, I started to realize what happened in the game, I was just like, no way, no way, and so you find out through a brilliant, so good the way the game does it, you walk into Toriel's house, and you still get into fights, but the enemies don't actually, like, fight you, they just tell you the story of what happened to Asgore, and what happened to Toriel, and what's really cool is the room that was locked off in Toriel's house is uh, not locked in this one because it's the original version of the house. She rebuilt that house in the ruins. Uh, but you go in and the locked off room was Asgore's room and you read his diary and he sounds so happy and he loves flowers. And you're just like, man, I'm going to have to kill this guy. Yo, come on, I can't. He seems so nice. And so the monsters are all explaining to you basically what happened. Um, a human fell a long time ago. And they ended up being taken in by the king and queen, who were Asgore and Toriel. Uh, and they had their own monster son uh, named Asriel. Okay? And so, one day, the human got very sick. And the only way to heal the human was to take him to a human village that... Uh, had a healing spring in the middle, I believe it was. And so, somehow, Asriel gets out with the human, and he takes the human to the spring, but it's too late, and he's he's dead. And uh, basically, the humans see Asriel, who's a monster, with the dead human in his hands, and they they kill him because they think that he killed the human. And this sets off a whole chain of events uh, that basically the Asgore is wrought with grief, and he starts killing all the humans who fall down to try to break the seal to be able to get out and get revenge on the humans. And Toriel, who believes that this is wrong, essentially divorces him and goes to live in the ruins to try to protect all the humans so that he can't kill them. So, Asgore has killed six humans at this point, and you are technically the last one. Ah, man. And the fight with Asgore is something special. You go into that fight, and he basically says, like, oh, man, we're friends, and... If I didn't have to do what I had to do right now to try to kill you, I would ask you if you wanted to drink some tea with me. Because he just is so... He's so nice, and he loves tea. And then you go into the fight with him, and he basically says, like, either I will kill you, or you will kill me. Go. And so your first instinct would be, as a player, to be like, well, I'll just do what I've done the rest of the game, and I'll spare him. But right as soon as he gets into the battle, he whips out his trident and he stabs it into the mercy option on the HUD and it's gone and there is no mercy. 
and you can't do anything. You have to fight him, and you have to kill him. And just as a... I put my head in my hands, and I just said, What are you doing to me, game? He seems so nice, and I don't even really want to leave this place, because all these people are so cool, and fuck, 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 fuck. And so you have to fight him. And me, having gone through the entire game without killing anyone, didn't even really understand how the battle system worked. So that's how I figured out that you have to try to get the bar near the center so that you can do damage. And you you kill him. You strike strike him down. Uh, and then it changes, and you, you can spare him at that point. And you choose to spare him, if you so choose, or you could kill him. And then he dies anyways. Because Flowey comes and kills him and then takes the human souls. And he ascends to some higher version of crazy, crazy town and he is a gigantic monster. And so Flowey has control over all of space and time. Uh, He can appear anywhere in time. He can do anything. And so the game does an interesting thing. Basically... He crashes you out and says, like, oh, you thought you could spare him? Like, fuck you. This, you don't deserve to be alive. I'm going to enjoy killing you over and over again. Because Flowey is a weird, sadistic maniac. He's a little flower. And then the game crashes. But it's intentional. And you are like, what? what is happening? And you boot it back up. And then you're there with Flowey and he's like in this crazy form and he basically says like I'm gonna kill you over and over again you don't think you can escape and so the whole goal of it is to uh regain the human souls and use them to your advantage I might be mixing this up with the true ending now I actually don't know but this is definitely this is one of the endings Whatever, it's not important. We'll just talk about this. And you uh, you go through the battle, and it's not like a regular battle. It's basically just like a bullet hell shooter, and all kinds of shit is coming at you. And you have to survive long enough to get to a point where there's like an intermission, and then you have to collect the human souls. And each time you collect the human souls, you have a little bit more defense, so it's a little bit easier to survive until the next time. But if you do end up dying, the game quits out and crashes. I lost so many times on this boss. I actually had people asking me, like, why do you keep launching Undertale? Because it kept popping up on Steam. And I was just like, shut up. I'm having an emotional time. I hate you. Go away. And so you eventually beat it. And you beat Flowey. And it just goes through an ending. And you basically are allowed to escape. Because you use the seven human souls to pass through the barrier. Well, you you only need one human soul to pass through the barrier. That's not important. You you, you freed the seven human souls. You pass through the barrier and you're home again. And uh, Sans, Papyrus, Undine, they, like, say, like, cool stuff. They're like, yeah, this is what happened. Ha, ha, ha. Fun times. And they tell you, like, what happened after you left and things like that and wish you well. And then uh, after that, Flowey comes back. If you have not killed anyone in your entire playthrough and says, like, hey, if you want to see what's really going on, go make friends with Alphys. So Alphys is this nerdy scientist girl who actually turns out to be a lesbian, but that we're not going to talk about that here. That's just, that's something else you can figure out on your own. She's in love with Undine, and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. They go on a date, basically. It's oh, great. Great stuff. The game explores a lot of fun avenues. Um... And so you go make friends with Alphys, and you find out that basically she's been uh, hiding something. And the reason she's so insecure about herself the entire game is she was asked by Asgore to try and uh, basically fuse humans and monsters to make them stronger. So... You find out through the course of the game that monster souls are kind of weak. And once they, uh, once their bodies die, their souls die too. But that's not necessarily the case with humans. Humans are stronger because they have something called determination. And what's interesting about that is every save point in the game, you go to the save point, you look at it, and you see some scene. Something will be going on in the background. Like, the one I always remember is there's a mouse 
and uh, there's cheese on a table, and you go to the save point, and it says, the thought of the mouse one day getting the cheese fills you with determination. And so one thing will always fill you with determination. And that's how you get fully healed, and that's what makes humans strong, is determination. And so what Alphys was doing was taking the bodies of monsters before they had uh, disintegrated or whatever happens to the monster bodies and injecting them with determination. And what happened was she thought they were going to be okay because they were came back and they were cognitive, but eventually they just kind of like turned into these amorphous blobs and she was horrified by what she had done because she couldn't go back and tell these people's families that she had like brought them back from the dead into this horrifying existence and you find out that the biggest mistake that she made was when Asriel uh Asgore and Toriel's son uh, went and got attacked by the humans, he came back to the throne room to talk to his parents, and he he, uh, he he came back with the human. And they died there. And that is where there are a whole bunch of yellow flowers. And so one of the things that happened was Alphys injected the flower with determination to test what would happen. And it just so happened that it had the soul of Ezreal in it. And so he he lost his mind and went crazy and turned into Flowey. And it's it sucks, man. It's oh, the, the true ending. So you find all of the, all of this about Alphys and then the game makes you go to fight Asgore. You do uh what you do in the regular ending and uh you spare Asgore and then Toriel comes and basically says, like, no, wait, you can't kill the human. Like, don't do this. You're a horrible person. And he's like, Toriel, is that you? I haven't seen you in so long. I missed you. And then uh, they're having a whole conversation. And then uh, Sans, Papyrus, Undine, and Alphys come up as well. And they're all standing there and they're like, oh, man, I'm so glad you got to meet the king. This seems really awkward with him and his ex-wife and all this stuff. And... Then Flowey comes again, and he basically takes them all prisoner uh and through a weird series of events, he becomes Ezreal, and you realize that the entire game you have not been playing as who you thought you were, so the game does a really clever thing that when you fall down and you name yourself, it says name the fallen human. And so I named it Manny because that is my name. And I didn't think about it. I was like, Oh, this is the human who fell down. This is my name. I'm playing as this person. And Ezreal tells you that we basically, we have to stop calling you Manny because Manny is the name of the fallen human, the one who died and they couldn't save. And Ezreal is very upset about this still because they were best friends. And you realize that this whole time you've been playing as a human named Frisk and the only people who were calling you by your name were Flowey, because he was Ezreal and he was friends with you, Asgore and Toriel, because they are, they were essentially your parents and your brother, and they are the ones who remember. And whenever they see a human, they call them the name you chose because they see the human that they let die in you. And that's fucking crazy, mind blow town. And when you realize that, and you're like, oh my god! And it was such a good moment. And then. Ezreal takes all your friends and is basically like, yo, I'm going to kill them. Come at me. And then the best boss music in like the history of all time, I think. That's not true. That's a little bit of hyperbole. But the boss music when you fight Ezreal is so dope. And you fight Ezreal and you beat him. He lets all your friends go. 
And then he can finally be put to rest because you overcame everything and you didn't kill anyone and you were able to put Azrael to rest and he could finally forget about his friend that died. And then the barrier breaks and you can go outside with all of your newfound friends and they can go out into the world and start a new life. And me describing this probably sounded really shitty, but man, it is an emotional ending. And man, it is so great. And you make such good friends with all these characters. Undertale is great. Oh my god. And you find out through the whole thing that, like, maybe the humans were really the ones that were the monsters. Maybe we're the monsters. Because we we, you could go around killing everything. And the, the monsters down here were all actually really friendly. And they just wanted to go out into the world. Like, the underworld was kind of small. And it was a little stuffy for all of them. And they want to branch out and do other things. And that's what makes Undertale so great. And that's all I got. I, d- I don't know. I kind of rushed a little bit through that, uh, but that doesn't matter. It's so good. The subversion of, like, are you sub- do you kill things in JRPGs, so you just assume you kill things, but you're not supposed to. And the way the battle system works in an interesting way, and the way the characters interact, and the way the music interacts with certain scenes. Excuse me, I'm burping. Undertale is something special, and I... I wholeheartedly agree with that. I I think that that is very true. I think it's a special game. Like I said previously, before I got into the spoiler section, I do not think that it's for everyone, but I do think that you should at least check it out and try to get through that initial area. And if you bounce off it really hard, that's totally fine. Everything is, is subjective. Everything is different to different people. I think Undertale is great. And I'm glad that I was able to finally record this podcast and share with you why I liked Undertale so much. And with that, that brings us to the end. Um, thank you for listening. I very much appreciate it. Uh, I've gotten a lot of views on my last two podcasts, which is crazy. I think the Yokai Watch one is over 600 plays, which is shocking to me because I just talked about Yokai Watch. And I, man, whoo. So yeah, thank you, thank you everyone who's been listening. I very much appreciate it. And as always, uh, I gotta say, uh, the theme song of the podcast is the song Sting Operation uh, by the band Anamanaguchi. They are a great band, make sweet chip tunes, so you should give them a listen. Uh, I would really appreciate it. And with that, I'm tired. I used up all my energy getting hype about Undertale. See you guys next time. Peace out.